So last week we began our series in Colossians. We said a few things about the city, Colossae. Uh, it, one thing that I just find interesting is that they, on the regular, dealt with earthquakes and volcanic activity. Things that tend to disrupt one's life. As we continue our journey through Colossians, there's something that I want to really highlight, not just this morning, but throughout the entire letter. The gospel, the gospel activity, the gospel spreading, the energy that is associated with transformed lives and the good news of Jesus Christ. It was beginning to bear fruit, not only in their region, but all throughout the known world at the time. There is nothing more exciting, more exhilarating than seeing communities transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Our overall premise for this series is simply this. Jesus is Lord. We call it the preeminence of Christ. Christ surpasses all others. He has no equal, he has no rival, and he has no threat. He stands alone because he is preeminent, so is his truth and the biblical worldview. The gospel is not just another nice addition to our trophy case. Not just something else that we add add on to the rest of our life. And the things that we really want to get on with. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Last week we also noted that the gospel is not an idle, boring proposition. Far from it. The life of God is now alive in the life of people. We cannot separate faith in Christ and love for the saints. Because when God comes to live inside of us, his love is shown abroad in our hearts and it shows. We love others with the amazing love that God has shown us. Now, before we read our passage this morning, I'd like to make a general statement that we will unpack This morning. Remember, Paul is commending the gospel as it spreads all throughout the world. And it's simply this gospel activity outside the church is fueled by gospel activity inside the church. If we don't see robust, vibrant gospel ministry, that is saints ministering to one another within the church, naturally we're not going to see what we would like to see, and that is gospel activity outside the church. You'll hear the word discipleship. This is really what this is speaking to here. What Colossians will speak to over and over again. What Paul will say in different ways and in different settings. Gospel activity inside the church is what fuels the activity outside the church. 
So now let us, let's read our uh, text for this morning. We're going to go back and pick up uh, Colossians chapter 1, the first eight verses. We're going to finish the text this morning, but um, we'll read the first eight verses for context. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which, it, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day we heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Now let's, let's get into it. What you see here is not an idle group of people. It is not a gospel that is in theory only, but it has its own pulse. The life of God in the life of people always produces fruit and activity. There is action taking place. There is movement. There are convictions that are being laid down that are disrupting the cultural status quo. The gospel is growing. It is bearing fruit. What is true in Colossae was also true all throughout the known world at the time. My pastor growing up, he would always say that the gospel is like a virus without the negative connotation. The gospel is like a virus. You can't see it and you really can't stop it. It just spreads. And in a good way, that is what the gospel is like. The life of God in the hearts of people. Remember Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the confidence, that is the hope, and that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The early church was founded upon persecution. First with the apostles. They were detained, they were whipped, they were beaten, they were commanded sternly not to ever preach the gospel again. So what was their response in Acts chapter 5? Well, Luke says they went out and they continued to preach the gospel. And here's what he says. He's very detail-oriented from house to house, like everywhere, and every day. They never stopped. You can try to stop it, but it's never going to work. We see that to be the same now in Iran and China as well. Places where the gospel is actively suppressed and persecuted. So we can put it like this. 
The letter to the Colossians opens in the very way that you would expect a letter to a church to begin. The gospel is doing what the gospel does. The life of God, the work of God. If there were an inspired letter written to the churches in Montgomery County, or even Durwood Bible Church, I hope the same would be true. That there would be a reference to the gospel taking root and growing in our midst, in our region, and that we are having an impact for Christ in our neighborhoods and even around the world. You see the flags to my right and to my left. Speaking of which, it has been our privilege to develop a friendship and a partnership with the Terena tribe in Brazil. On my first trip down, when we were first getting to know them, I was given the story of how the gospel came to that region. It was a Scottish missionary, a little over 100 years ago, at this point maybe 115 years ago, and all they wanted to do was kill him. Who is this outsider coming in? Why is he talking to us about his God? And it's quite the miraculous story. But there was an Indian chief, a chief of one of the villages, who made it his ambition at night to go to where he was and kill him. And the Lord thwarted that. So I had the opportunity, the privilege, to sit down with his grandson. Oh, by the way, so his grandfather became the first Christian in the entire tribe made up of multiple multiple villages and they are so intent on taking the gospel all throughout their tribe it is so encouraging to hear and to watch to see their activity oftentimes facing very challenging situations i mean there are alligators in the water down there when they're crossing through but they are taking the gospel to their fellow tribe members, even in other countries as well. Fun fact, I was for one day the chief of this tribe. It was an honor he bestowed upon me, and he simply said, please stay within eyeshot of me in case something actually happens, and I can grab it back and put it on my head. But all over the world, They are sending out missionaries throughout Brazil and into the neighboring countries. It's beautiful to see. The gospel is not an idle proposition that you just tack on to your life. Christ, Paul would tell the Colossians in chapter 3, Christ is your life. Within God's people, there is a holy energy and intentional activity that pervades and permeates throughout our congregations. It is not merely didactic teaching. That has its place. But follow me now. It is regular people like you and me rubbing shoulders with one another and encouraging one another to walk with the Lord one more day. To put one foot in front of the other. Getting into our collective messiness. Getting into our lives. 
supporting one another in prayer, giving the gift of our presence, particularly to those who are in need, and encouraging one another and so forth. Last week we looked at chapter 3 where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You take this word and you read it, you study it, you own it, you reflect upon it, you meditate upon it, and you let the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he says, you minister it to those around you. It's not just for you. You minister the truth of God to one another within your congregations. Even, he says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Getting into one another's lives and ministering the truth. Encouraging one another and keeping us, as Romans says, hot in our service for the Lord. Now, a little practical application. If you're able to, I'd like you for just a moment... To stand. Just stand right where you are. This will only take a moment. It's a little little Colin illustration. I actually saw this somewhere else. Now you're standing. Thank you very much. Now here's what I want you to do. Take your hand and just place it on your seat. Just place your hand on your seat. What do you feel? Warmth. You feel body warmth. That is not your contribution to the church. To warm a pew. You may take a seat. It is wonderful that we are all here, but don't let it stop with that. That is what will permeate Paul's letter. It does, it may start here, but it never stops here. Why is this gospel ministry so exciting? And why is there so much excitement and enthusiasm as Paul writes? Because it is God's gospel. It's his truth. It's all about Christ. He is preeminent. And this is the energy, the activity, the enthusiasm that Paul expects to see not only in the Colossian church, but in every single church. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the gospel. That's why the old converted Pharisee, Paul, He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. I am not ashamed of it. I will submit myself. You do what you like. You whip me. You beat me. You throw me in prison. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So until we see him face to face, we minister the truth of this gospel one to another. We need one another. We build one another up in our most holy faith. We encourage one another to take that next step as we follow Christ. Do you notice in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, it's never written in the sense of doing it all by yourself. It's all a collective effort. 
Even when Paul will write about the truth of the gospel in his letters, he usually puts it in the plural. This is us. So we help one another along the way. So what does this gospel progress and activity look like in other settings? I invite you to take your Bible. I just want to take you to a few different passages. Uh, Go to to the left, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. I always want you to see that it's not just one guy harping away on things, but it's literally what you'll see throughout Scripture. So Acts chapter 6, what does gospel activity or progress look like? Here's Luke's account. I just want to show you a few different verses. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. The word of God The truth of God was highly esteemed. The truth of God was ministered. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. We're still, this is kind of where the thing started in Jerusalem. But remember what we said in the beginning. Gospel activity within the church fuels gospel activity outside the church. So the word of God is held in high esteem. People are ministering the word of God to one another and proclaiming the truth of God and followers of Christ greatly multiplied. And he even says a great many number of the priests even became obedient to the faith. Turn a page or two over to chapter 9. Verse 31. So the church. This is where a guy named Saul of Tarsus is now introduced into the drama. The guy who used to persecute the church would now become the mouthpiece of the church. Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. We're now spreading from Jerusalem. It's not just Jerusalem-centric anymore because it's for the whole world. It's beginning to spread. It's beginning to grow. And that's exactly what Paul is referencing in Colossians. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Followers of Christ walking in the fear of the Lord and being comforted by the Holy Spirit as they walk with the Lord, the church grew. Heading back to Colossians, uh, stop in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul says this in verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Your lifestyle, your life matches your confession. 
There can be no division between the two. That's, we call that hypocrisy. So he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear, watch this, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what a healthy church looks like. Standing together in unity, the one who unifies us is Christ, and our lifestyle, our attitudes, our convictions, our actions match that glorious confession that we now have. And we are standing firm on the truth of God, and we are striving shoulder to shoulder with one another. That is, the body of Christ is helping and encouraging one another so that the gospel will prosper. What undergirds all of this? One word, grace. You'll notice Paul references this in our text. That which makes the gospel different from any other message or philosophy or ideology is simply this. Grace. Jesus, as Jesus said, grace humbles us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The gospel shows you and me the true you. We look in the law and we realize, you know what, I'm actually not as good as I thought that I was. The mirror shows you the perfect law of God, his moral, ethical law. You take one look into God's moral perfection and you know that you are undone. But grace doesn't end there. After all of our pretending and self-righteousness... The law tells us that we fall far short of God's true righteousness. And then there's grace to meet you at that place. You see, there is a man who actually kept the law of God perfectly. There is a man who laid down his life for you and for me. He suffered on the cross of Calvary for sinners and he rose again. So what is there left to do? Well, receive the gift. Repent and believe. Stop trying to earn it yourself. There's a great gospel truth found in Colossians and also in Galatians. And it's foundational for us in our Christian discipleship. We get into the kingdom by grace. And we walk with Christ by grace. We don't somehow switch once we get in to being performance-based. It's very easy for us to fall into that. That's called legalism. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. I'll just say it. As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. The same way you got in, you walk it out. Jesus is Lord. You got in by grace, not by your own efforts. You got in by faith, not by your own efforts. Now live that out. Now let's finally get acquainted 
with a brother who embodies much of this for us. His name is Epaphras. Paul mentions him in our text. He might have been the one who planted this church. We don't know. But regardless, Epaphras is a godly pillar within the Colossian fellowship. I mentioned him last week. I mentioned the, well, I mentioned the obvious last week, and that's this. That Colossians is a real letter to real people. Now, you're going to meet a real person. A real person within that church. So once again, let's note, we're going to flip over to Colossians chapter 4. A little bit about Epaphras, verse 12. Look at what Paul says about Epaphras. 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. You want to know what discipleship looks like within a church? Look at Epaphras. He was clearly a leader and a pillar in the church, but Paul also says he was one, he's one of you. He's not put up on a pedestal. Don't miss that. No matter what his status was, he was one of them. He was their brother in Christ. He was a friend. He was a co-laborer. He was in the trenches with them. He was not above them. He was one of them. He was not on a pedestal. But how is he identified as a servant of Christ? Remember, many of our translations under translate that word, doulos. It means slave. He is a slave of Jesus Christ, as all Christians are said to be in the New Testament. So this qualifies him to be one who makes disciples who make disciples. He loved and he supported the Colossians and his love was surely reciprocated. How did he minister? Was he flashy for everyone to see? Was he busy self-promoting, promoting himself? No, he had a prayer closet. He was a prayer warrior. He was humble. Oh, but he gained ground on his knees. He did not take prayer casually. He wrestled in prayer. He knew full well the challenges that believers face. This life is full of sorrows and heartache and grief and temptations and persecutions and trials of various kinds. So he prayed for them he stood in the gap how did he pray for them that they would become successful and healthy and wealthy and rich with a life of ease no he prayed that they would know and stand upon the perfect will of god he did not pray that the storms would be removed but rather for confidence within the storm When believers are confident of God's will, we naturally minister strongly to one another. And we naturally are a witness wherever we go. Epaphras, 
a humble, godly, prayerful man of God. May we, like Epaphras, pass a legacy of faith to those around us. May we rub shoulders with one another as he did. May we get off the bench, if needed, and into the game. Saints, let's renew our excitement about gospel ministry within our midst. Let us not be passive in our participation. Each, this is the beautiful part, each and every one of us has a contribution because Christ has qualified you for that. Let us encourage and support and help one another in the Lord. Disciples, making disciples who make disciples and seeing our community transformed by the gospel of Christ. Oh Lord, we thank you for the free gift of eternal life. We thank you for the love that you have freely shown us. We thank you that when Christ suffered, my sins, not in part, but the whole, was laid upon him. We bear them no more. We no longer carry the shame or the guilt of our sins. We recognize and acknowledge your holiness, your majesty, your glory, your moral perfection. We confess that our sins and your holiness simply cannot coexist. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange. How beautiful is that? Lord, remind us, refresh us, encourage us, build us up this morning in your unconditional love for us in the hope of the gospel build us up we pray in your in our most holy faith and lord let us be good news to those around us thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel believe in the lord jesus christ and you will be saved it is our sincere prayer that if there is anyone here today who has not turned to you and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks. We give you praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.